Our scripture today comes from the fifth chapter of John. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up! Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. This is the word of God for the people of God. Won't you please join me in a word of prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, may your word, which is truth and power and wisdom, be truth for our lives, so we might experience your power and walk in your wisdom. May we be open and receptive to whatever your spirit wants to do in our midst now. And may we, by the power of that spirit, go out and live as your people. We pray that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Well, it happened sometime between 12 midnight and 4 a.m. No one is exactly sure of the time. But when the sun rose and the fog cleared on the morning of May 2nd, 2003, he was gone. The old man of the mountain. A 40-foot-tall outcropping of granite that resembled the face of a man that had been part of the White Mountains of New Hampshire for at least 10,000 years. Great authors like Nathaniel Hawthorne had written about the great stone face. It was a major landmark in that area, a tourist attraction for visitors and a a comforting presence for locals who saw this 700-ton stone face as a symbol of strength and stability and perseverance. And now he was gone. On May the 2nd, 2003, the old man of the mountain just crumbled and landed in a pile of rubble at the base of the mountain. The, the state of New Hampshire decided to do an investigation and they sent geologists to try to figure out what happened. Didn't take them long to figure it out. There had been a whole series of cracks that had occurred in the old man, but People didn't notice from a distance. Turns out the old man died of stress. (laughs) Years of wind and rain and sleet 
and snow over the time had weakened the rocks and caused the cracks to get larger until he crumbled and tumbled. And nobody knew how bad it was until it happened. The sad demise of the old man of the mountain is really a powerful object lesson for you and me today because the truth is no matter how strong we appear to others, no matter how resilient we might think we are, the truth is we're all in risk of crumbling and tumbling. None of us is immune to the painful reality that there are cracks appearing in our lives, in the lives of our friends, in our families, in our community, in our nation, in our world. Cracks that if they are neglected and not dealt with will lead to crumbling and tumbling in our own lives. You know, for all of the comforts and conveniences of modern life in America, and there's much of our modern lives to celebrate and appreciate, but for all of the comforts and conveniences, it's not all good. There's something about the way we're living today that is causing cracks in our lives and in our communities. Researchers at Harvard University discovered that Americans claim to be angrier today than previous generations of Americans. Road rage, indiscriminate violence, harsh tweets, ugly emails, they're just the surface symptoms of an underlying irritability, frustration, impatience that seems to permeate individuals and our culture. Perhaps it's stress. Americans report feeling more fatigued and rushed today than before. There seems to be, according to the American Psychiatric Association, there, there seems to be a rise in the stress levels. In fact, they've been measuring stress uh, for the past 30 years or so, and they say in the past three years, stress has risen in America more than in the, the previous 27 years that they've been measuring stress. Eric Metaxas, historian and philosopher, says America is in the middle of an anger and stress epidemic. And how are we coping with all of this anger and stress? Well, not very well. Use of alcohol and prescription drugs are at an all-time high. And while certainly prescription drugs have their place in our health care system, abuse of prescription drugs is at an unusually high level. Heavy binge drinking has risen 20% since 2005. And uh, it continues to go up. We're medicating ourselves not just with alcohol and drugs, but with comfort foods. Since uh, 1970, Americans' consumption of unhealthy fats has risen by 65%. Our consumption of sugar has risen by 40%. The number of fast food restaurants in America has doubled in the past 30 years. And according to the USDA, the average American adult today consumes 530 more calories per day than Americans did in the 1970s. Our modern American lifestyle is not leading us to a healthy place. Dr. Susan Coven, Director of Internal Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital, last year wrote an op-ed piece in the Boston Globe. I just want to quote to you a portion of what she wrote about. She says this, Over the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient, suffering from the same condition. 
The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, yet it is easy to recognize. These are simply the consequences of the modern American lifestyle. Like cracks in the granite of the old man of the mountain, there are cracks appearing in our lives as well, and we would do well to pay attention to those cracks and do something about them. And This morning, I want to talk to you from my heart about what we can do about the cracks appearing in our lives. Something vital and important we can do. Not necessarily easy, but really quite simple. If we will do this, it will make a huge difference for us. So welcome back to our series on Jesus. We've been spending the past few weeks, and we'll continue to spend the next several weeks, looking at the life and teachings of Jesus, who He is, what He did, and why it matters. Right now we're looking at some of the miracles Jesus performed. And we've been saying that the miracles that Jesus performed did two things. They authenticated His identity as the Son of God. They, they authenticated who He was and gave authenticity to His teaching, His truth. But the miracles also communicated a message that God wants us to receive and appropriate in our lives today. And so as we look at these miracles, we've been asking ourselves, what is the, what is the message in the miracle? And today we're going to look at the miracle of Jesus healing the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. It's in John chapter 5, if you want to follow along. John chapter 5, beginning in verse uh, 1. We read that uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem for one of the feasts, special festivals. They had uh, three every year in Jerusalem that required all males within about a 40, 50 mile radius to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. It's a sacred festival dedicated to God. We're We're not sure which of these three feasts. It's one of them. And Jesus is there, and in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate. Now remember, Jerusalem is surrounded by high stone walls for protection, and they had gates at various locations to let people in, and the gates had different names. In the, the northern section of Jerusalem, there was a gate called the Sheep Gate. And so near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool called the Pool of Bethesda. Bethesda is an Aramaic word that means house of mercy. And it was believed that this pool at Bethesda had, the, the waters in that pool had special healing powers. And so people who were blind or sick or infirmed or paralyzed or lame, they would they would gather and, and lay there by the pool. Because a, a legend had arisen that occasionally an angel would come from heaven and stir the waters of the pool. And if the waters were stirred, the, the first person to get into the pool would be instantly, miraculously healed. But it would only work for the first person to get in. And so people waited looking at the pool, hoping for an opportunity to get in. Now, we don't have any record of this ever occurring, someone actually jumping into the pool and getting miraculous. There's no record of that ever happening. But back in those days when people were sick, they would try to find hope in anything they could possibly find. And So all these folks laying there by the pool, hoping for a miracle. And Jesus comes along. And uh, he's uh, got the attention of one man in particular who is laying there. This man has been an invalid for 38 years, it says in verse 5. 38 years. Now, that doesn't mean he's been laying by the pool for 38 years. It simply means he's not been able to walk for 38 years. Most of his life has been spent without the ability to move himself, always relying on other people. And in those days, they didn't have Social Security benefits. They didn't have disability insurance. So this guy was dependent upon the mercy and generosity of others. He's probably had to beg to get money and ask people to 
help him, move him around. And someone has brought him there to the pool and he's, he's just waiting, hoping for an opportunity to be healed. And Jesus walks up to this guy and he asks him a question. He says, do you want to get well? And the man begins to explain, well, yes, I want to get well, but the problem is whenever the waters get stirred, nobody will help me into the pool and someone always gets in ahead of me. And we don't know what Jesus is thinking at this point, but I, I, I like to think that Jesus is thinking in his mind something along these lines. He's saying, this poor guy, he's trying to put his hope in magic water that isn't real. When the very real healing power of God is right here in front of him, I think I'm going to let him experience that power. And Jesus says to the man, get up, take up your mat and walk. Now, now the man doesn't argue, which is kind of surprising. I would expect the man to go, excuse me, did you hear that part about me being an invalid for 38 years? Get up and walk. But instead, the man decides to be obedient to these words of Jesus. Maybe it was the way Jesus said those words. Maybe Jesus touched the man and the man could feel some some power coursing through Jesus' touch. We're not exactly sure why, but the man decided to obey and do what Jesus commanded. And as he tried to stand up, he felt the power of God, the healing, strengthening power of God, helping him to stand. And he was no longer an invalid. He was healed miraculously, instantly. And he picked up his mat, as Jesus said, and he walked away, joyfully, healed. But he doesn't get too far until he runs into the religious leaders, the, the Jewish leaders who uh, kind of were walking around. Maybe they just come from the temple. They see this man and they see him carrying his mat and they stop him and they say, hey, it's a Sabbath day. You know you're not supposed to carry your mat on the Sabbath day. You're breaking the law. See, the Jews of the first century deeply, deeply believed in honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy. And uh, the word Sabbath means to cease. And it means to stop working. You weren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. You're supposed to devote the whole day to worshiping God, reflecting on the Scriptures, resting and being with your families. But, But people sometimes wondered, what does it mean to work on the Sabbath? If we're not supposed to do it, then... What is it we're not supposed to do? So the religious leaders identified 39 different activities that were considered work that you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath. Things like starting a fire or putting out a fire, mending clothing, planting or harvesting, or carrying something. It was considered work. This guy, by carrying his mat, was working on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders called him on it. And uh, he explains, well, he doesn't know who Jesus is yet. Jesus is just healing, but he didn't know it was Jesus. And, and he says, well, the, the guy who healed me told me to do this. When a guy heals you, you're not going to argue with him. I just picked up my mat and started walking. And now the religious leaders are upset because someone has healed on the Sabbath, which was another form of work, and it was prohibited. Instead of being joyful that this man who had been an invalid for 38 years has now received the miracle power of God and can walk, instead, the Jewish leaders are all upset that somebody healed him on the Sabbath day. And they eventually find out it's Jesus. And when they find out it's Jesus, they're angry because Jesus has done this before. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you find that Jesus healed on the Sabbath seven different times. And every time it was the same result. When the Jewish leaders found out that Jesus had healed somebody on the Sabbath, instead of rejoicing at the power of God, they got angry and plotted, how are we going to kill Jesus? He's a Sabbath breaker. And I think, When Jesus heals on the Sabbath, He's communicating a very, very important message. 
The message is not that Sabbath doesn't matter. We should treat it like any other day. It's okay to work on the Sabbath. No, no, no. Jesus declares Himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus honored the Sabbath. When you read through the Gospels, He rested, He worshipped. He honored the Sabbath. Now, He didn't follow the strict, detailed, legalistic laws that the Jewish leaders had put on people. But Jesus celebrated the Sabbath. And in healing on the Sabbath, Jesus is communicating a very important message that I believe can impact our modern lives today. Here is the message, I think, being communicated in this miracle on the Sabbath day. Here it is. The Sabbath is for healing. The Sabbath is for healing and for restoration. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Sabbath is not meant to be a legalistic burden. It's meant to be an amazing gift where, where Jesus heals us, restores us, strengthens us. In body, mind, and soul. That's what the Sabbath is for. So let me ask you this morning. How are you experiencing Sabbath these days? Do you take one day out of the week for Sabbath? To rest? To recover from the last six days and to get ready in anticipation of the six days that lie ahead? Do you take a... A Sabbath day to reconnect with your loved ones? To evaluate your priorities and where you're headed in life? To examine your attitude? To see if your attitude has gone south and you need to make some correction? To repent of sin? Receive forgiveness? To worship and celebrate the God who forgives? Do you celebrate a Sabbath? Or has Sabbath just become another day? Another day to pursue more. Another day to catch up on all the chores that didn't get done the few days before. Just another day to rush off to more activities that distract us and deplete us, but don't restore us. You know, people complain a lot about stress these days. Stress, stress, stress. Can I tell you the problem isn't stress? There's always been stress. Life has always been full of difficulties and challenges. If you think stress is your problem, it's not. The problem isn't stress. The problem is lack of recovery. The problem is a failure to take time to rest and renew and regain your strength to then go back out and take on the challenges that lie ahead. It is the absence of rest and renewal that is the problem, not the stress. As Lena Horne used to say, it's not the load you're carrying that's the problem. It's how you're carrying the load. See, God knows we need Rest, renewal, and worship of Him in order to recover from the natural stresses of life. And so He gives us the Sabbath as a gift. But it's also a commandment. It's one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, think about this for a second. Jesus, when He's calling together a holy people, His people, at Mount Sinai, He gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. He says, look, as we're starting this life together, I am your God. You are my people. As we're starting this life together, here are ten guidelines for everything you do in life. These are the ten most important things I have to share with you about how you're to order your life. These are your ten priorities. What you should do, what you should not do. And among those ten, right up there with don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, right up there with those, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor the Sabbath 
and keep it holy. Let's let's read that together. Let's just read this out loud. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Hey, we don't have to be legalistic about this, right? We, you don't have to spend your whole day in church. I mean, those days are gone. Hey, you talked to people a couple generations ago on the Sabbath day. They went to church early in the morning. They stayed all morning, went and grabbed the potluck lunch, came back for afternoon hymn sing, then came back at night for more. We don't need to be legalistic and say you got to be in church all day. And we don't need to argue about, gee, can you go out to eat at a restaurant on the Sabbath day because you're technically making somebody else work? Or do you have to honor the Sabbath on Sunday or Saturday? And what about people who have jobs that require them on a rotation basis to to have to work on a Sunday or a Saturday? The point is, take a day. Preferably a Sunday, but take a day. You don't have to be legalistic about it, but don't ignore it. Make a day for rest, renewal, and worship. And yet, research reveals that fewer and fewer Americans are doing that. In fact, attendance at worship has decreased in America from an average of 55% of all Christians down to 25% of all Christians. And that's accelerated. People who call themselves Christians are attending church less and less. In fact, Gallup poll last year reported that less than 50% of Americans consider Sunday to have any special spiritual significance in their lives at all. That's down from 74% back in the 1960s. Worship attendance is falling like a rock in America. You could say crumbling and tumbling like a rock. At the same time, other activities are skyrocketing. Shopping, traveling, children's sports, working running errands. For many modern-day Americans living the modern American lifestyle, Sabbath is just another day. Another day to be busy and noisy and preoccupied and distracted and complaining about all the stress that's in their lives. And people think the key to stress reduction is trying to catch up. No! Jesus tells us the key to stress reduction is to slow down, to stop, to get off the treadmill for a day. To break the addiction to the to-do list and devote yourself to the state of your eternal soul and your relationship with God and your family. And remember what's really important. Sabbath is for the body and the soul. And if we don't pay attention to Sabbath, we will drift and the cracks will get bigger until we crumble and tumble down. Hey, there's nothing wrong with being busy. Lots of things to do in this life. In fact, the truth is everybody's busy. The question is, busy doing what? As we say around here all the time, the issue is not, will my calendar be full? Everybody's calendar is full. Here's the issue. What will fill my calendar? Right? And if we're too busy for worship, if we're too busy to get a fresh word from God, if we're too busy to reconnect with our loved ones and examine our attitudes and our thoughts and our lifestyles, if we're too busy to give Jesus an opportunity to heal us and restore us, we're just plain too busy. Think about this. If you had $168 in your pocket and Jesus walked up to you and said, could I have a dollar? If you had $168 in your pocket, would you give Jesus a dollar? 
How many would give Jesus a dollar? If you had $168 in a bucket, wouldn't you give Jesus? Okay. There are 168 hours in every week. Wouldn't we want to, on the Sabbath day, as often as possible, give Jesus one of those hours and worship together as the body of Christ? Well, Pastor Mark, if you consider, you know, commuting and getting here and there, it's more than an hour. Okay, an hour and a half. Would you give Jesus a buck fifty? The point is, if we don't make worship a priority, it won't be a priority. Worship is not something you try to fit in when you can. Worship is something you commit to God, I am going to do. And then you do that as a sign of your love and devotion. Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? If so, He offers a solution. I heal on the Sabbath. I restore on the Sabbath. I want to make you whole on the Sabbath. Lots of talk about America these days, about the decline of America, how we're losing our greatness, how the values and virtues that once made America great are falling apart. And everybody says the solution is put the right person in the White House, develop the right policies, educate people better, give people more money, redesign the the culture. That's not the answer. Because America's greatness won't be found in politics or education or tax policy. America's greatness comes from our soul, our spirit, our connection to God. In 1830, Alexis de Tocqueville, the French statesman, came to America. Back in the 1830s, America was on the ascendancy. Wonderful things were happening in our nation. Other nations were looking at America going, Wow, what is going on in that nation? What are they doing? And Alexis de Tocqueville came to to figure out the secret of America's greatness. He spent a whole year in 1830 traveling all over the country, talking to people, interviewing people, observing things, keeping copious notes. And then he took several years to write his two-volume Democracy in America. Classic work where de Tocqueville describes his experience of America and what makes America great. And the thing that impressed de Tocqueville the most was the way Americans kept the Sabbath. The way they honored the Sabbath day. He could not believe it. Back in those days, stores were closed on the Sabbath. Everything was shut down. Americans flocked to churches on the Sabbath. Let me read to you what he wrote. These are his words. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I looked for America's greatness in her fertile fields and boundless forests, but it was not there. I looked in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. So I searched for America's greatness in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America did I understand the secret of her genius and her power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And with all due respect to the political candidates out there, the way to make America great again is not to put the right person in the White House, is for God's people to show up on the Sabbath day to worship and honor Him and be the people we're called to be because what matters more than the person in the White House is how we live in our house. And what we do, if I can get an amen on that. 
The reality is, brothers and sisters, our problems are not political, they're not economic, they're not education, they're not social. Our problems are fundamentally spiritual. And you solve the spiritual problem with a spiritual solution. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Second Chronicles 7.14, God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven will forgive their sins and heal their land. Our land needs healing. The place to start is on our knees in the house of God on the Sabbath day. And yet for many people, for too many people who call themselves Christians, Sabbath is not to be found. Because it requires a commitment. It requires planning. It requires discipline. And if we don't do it, the cracks will just keep growing. In January of 1999, in the North Atlantic commercial fishing area, they experienced a, a series of accidents that got everyone's attention. In a 13-day period of time, three ships sank. Now, in the North Atlantic, commercial fishing is a dangerous business anyway, but for three ships to sink in less than two weeks was really unusual. And these were in, in seas that were somewhat stormy, but not severe storms. And so an investigation was launched, and, and it didn't take them long to figure out what had happened. The, all three of these ships, these were clam boats, all three of them had sunk because they were carrying too much of a load. There were weight restrictions for boats in that area, and gradually over time, Ship captains began to ignore those weight restrictions and pile on more and more and more, more equipment, more cargo, more crew. And then finally they got so heavy they couldn't even navigate in moderately stormy waters. It didn't take much for them to sink. Some of them were 10 to 15 tons over the limit. And when they began to do further investigation in that area, they found all the ships were becoming that way. Not one of them was in the legal limit. They were all over the limit. Anywhere from 10 to 15 tons. And when they started interviewing the sea captains, they said, well, we just thought it was normal. Everybody else was doing it. Just gradually over time, we kept adding weight and adding weight. We didn't think there was anything wrong with that until these tragedies started to happen. Friends, we're living in a culture where ignoring the Sabbath seems normal. We're living in a culture that says you can just load up as much as possible and you can go full throttle seven days a week. And yeah, if you can fit in a little God here and there when it fits your schedule, that, that's great. But, but otherwise, just no big deal. What if God is calling us to live differently? What if God is asking you and me to set an example for this crazy culture instead of trying to keep up with this crazy culture? I'm not saying we have to go Amish. Right? But what would it look like if we, as God's people, made a serious commitment to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy? Parents, what would it look like if you insisted with your children, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we will honor the Sabbath. And I know, I know, gosh, do we really want to fight with our kids on Sunday morning about coming to church? Well, you fight with them on Monday about going to school. And you fight with them about their violin practice. And you fight with them about taking their vitamins. And you fight with them. This is a fight you don't want to lose. What if we set the example to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy? What would it look like in our marriages? 
If we stop giving God the leftovers, we stop giving our loved ones the leftovers, we stop making it all about rushing here, shuttling the kids there, doing this, doing that, and instead we got off the treadmill for worship, rest, renewal. Say no to the siren call of our culture for more, more, more. I'm not suggesting that honoring the Sabbath will solve all the problems. I'm just suggesting it's a great place to start for a healthier happier, more sane, more joyful life because Jesus heals on the Sabbath and He looks at us and all the cracks that are appearing and He says, do you want to get well? Then it's time to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Because when we do what we can do, Jesus will show up and do what only He can do. And that's still how miracles happen.